0: Focus on Headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our Sochi sisters joining us in the studio. Soa and G. Guys, welcome back.
1: Good evening.
0: Good evening to you guys. We're going to start things off with domestic politics because uh, the e Ten One Disaster Special Act, uh, which was unilaterally passed by the main opposition Democratic Party at a plenary session at the National Assembly, uh, we know that the ruling PPP lawmakers uh, could did not even take part in this, and which was a little bit uh, surprising, considering the fact that the uh, National Assembly's floor, uh, sorry, uh, was it the floor leader. Uh, or sorry, Speaker of the National Mm -hmm. Assembly. Kim jong came out saying that the two sides were very close to an agreement, but come voting day, it was unilaterally passed. Uh, This is to reinvestigate the 2022 ETL and crowd crush incident that killed 159 people. Uh, But uh, now it may face a presidential veto once again, as the ruling PPP lawmakers had called for President Yun-Sakir to use his uh, veto powers. Uh, So uh, let's uh, start off with this. What's the latest situation on this?
1: Well, there have been speculations on President Suk-yeol once again exercising his veto power against a bill that has been passed at the National Assembly, backed by the opposition parties. This time, it's about the special act designed to establish a special investigation committee to reinvestigate the Itaewon disaster that claimed the lives of 159 people in a crowd crush in Itaewon in Yongsan-gu district in Seoul in late October 2022 After its passing at the National Assembly, there were mixed expectations regarding the ruling People Power Party's next move after they boycotted the vote, meaning whether they will ask the president for using his veto power or not. Now, This Thursday, the PPP did decide to request the president to exercise veto power, their argument being that the main opposition Democratic Party did not consult enough with them and acted alone in the plenary session's procedures last week when the act was passed. While PPP lawmakers gathered consensus on requesting President Yoon Seok-yeol's right to veto, they also proposed to the DP a renegotiation of the special law. The ruling party members had also raised concerns of biased investigations and difficulties in legitimizing findings. Now, in protest against the PPP's aim to make a veto request to President Yoon, the families of the tragedy's victims and civic groups shaved their heads in protest in front of the uh, presidential office uh, today. It remains to be seen whether President Yoon will endorse the act or reject it, and it's not as obvious as it may have seemed in other cases. Uh, when uh, President Yoon before had, uh, you know, vetoed uh and it did happen quite a number of times during his administration. So this time it's not as obvious because the general elections are coming up and also this is an issue that's quite sensitively perceived by the public.
0: Yeah, which is why, unlike uh, some of the other uh, acts that were passed unilaterally by the main opposition Democratic Party, the PPP initially kind of held back on any sort of remarks on whether or not they're going to request a presidential veto, Uh, but it's come out. But the unfortunate thing with this is that this wasn't supposed to be a political issue, right? Right. You had 159 people. Uh, killed because of uh, the one crowd crush incident. And it should be more based on the families because, again, like you said, the the families and the civic group came together. I think uh, of the 70 people that took place, uh, took part in the protest today, about 10 of them uh, took part in the, the the shaving of the head protest. But if Initially, I guess, normally if the families of the victims are requesting a reinvestigation, the right thing to do maybe is to reinvestigate, but the ruling party does know, unfortunately, it does get very political. We saw that with the Serho Ferry, right? Uh, Which is why initially, right after the whole and crowd crush incident happened, it became too political from the get-go, when the focus should have been on the victims and the victims' family. Uh, But whether or not this is going to certainly impact them uh, on the upcoming general elections we'll have to see. Also speaking of which we have major political figures running for the upcoming general elections gearing up for the big event announcing pledges one by one. Uh, aimed at tackling some of the biggest issues the country is facing, uh, we're going to talk about what some of them were, the, some of the I guess uh, policies and ref- reforms that the uh, politicians have announced earlier today. Jihe, you have more on this.
2: Right. So, emergency response committee chairman Han Dong-hun and Democratic Party leader Yi Jae-myung announced their respective general election pledges uh, to address the country's low fertility rate issue today. Now, for the People Power Party, the low fertility issue is the first pledge announced for the general election, and the pledge consisted of comprehensive measures, including strengthening parental leave, and parental leave pay will also be raised by 600,000 Korean won per month to 1. Point, uh, excuse me, 2.1 million won. Companies that have been recognized as family-friendly, providing different policies for parents, uh, would also be exempt from corporate taxes. And Lee also announced a comprehensive plan to tackle the same issue at the National Assembly earlier today. And for the Democratic Party, this is the fourth pledge announcement following the introduction of a five-day lunch for seniors, as well as a salaried nursing home care and a neighborhood primary care system. Unfortunately, Korea is currently facing a more serious issue with regard to declining birth rates and an aging population than that was uh, earlier predicted. So as per the data released by Statistics Korea, the total fertility rate in the country was just 078 Last year, this is the lowest in the world. Uh, and additionally, the number of elementary school enrollments has dropped to 300,000 this year. And it's expected to decrease further to 200,000. Uh, so this is leading to several major changes such as a reduction in teacher recruitment, as well as even the closure of some schools. Now, meanwhile, the new reform party led by former People Power uh, party leader Lee Salk has pledged to abolish free subway rights for seniors over 65. But uh, instead, Lee said he would switch it to a prepaid transportation card that costs 120,001 a year and uh, this could be used by these seniors for city trains as well as buses and taxis
0: yeah senior citizens are not very happy (laughs) with this particular uh reform Uh, policy. But uh, just kind of going back to, uh, today was, there was a lot of different things that was mentioned, but it sort of centered on how to go about tackling the country's low birth rate, right? And so I think the the main opposition Democratic Party uh, came out first and their focus was more on providing houses, right? Because they're saying that one of the big thing is that, you know, people are just unable to afford homes. And so they're going to be providing rental homes, I believe, for uh, families that have two or more children is one of them and Mm -hmm. there's some uh, loans and low all this stuff and then the ppp of course focusing more on the parental leave one of the interesting things that i think that that came out are we going to talk more about this no right Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the other things that came out that i found interesting was that they're allowing uh the ppp came up with this uh they're allowing five sick days per year Mm -hmm. based on like if if you have a kid up to like third grade let's say like you know Your kid's sick, and you have no one to watch over this person because your husband husband and the wife, they have to go to work. Well, you're allowed to take the paid day off if Mm -hmm. your child is sick. And so little things like this, and it's interesting how the two rival parties kind of are coming up with different measures for different sectors one focusing more on the real estate and the loans the other focusing on the parental leaves and of course financial assistance that come from the um, the parental leave uh, also moving on here a reinvestigation into the 2018 Ursan City mayoral election interference scandal has been ordered by the prosecution uh, this involving former senior presidential office in the former Moon Jae-in administration so uh, let's get the details of this
1: The prosecution has decided to reinvestigate allegations concerning three former government officials and two former Ulsan city officials, including... Former presidential presidential chief of staff Im Jong-sok, a former senior presidential secretary for civil affairs, Tukuk, also later uh, justice minister, and Guang Toi, former civil affairs secretary, in connection with the mayoral election meddling scandal in the southeastern city of Ulsan in 2018. This whole high prosecutor's office which issued the order to this whole central district said on Thursday as a result of a close examination of existing investigation and trial records as well as recent rulings by this whole central district court the prosecution assessed that additional investigations were needed in regards to the case so let's go back to that case mm-hmm. the presidential office or the former moon Jae-in administration allegedly intervened in the election of former Ulsan Mayor Song Cheol-ho, a decades-long friend of former President Moon, by having ordered Ulsan police to investigate corruption allegations against Kim ki then-opposition conservative candidate who was seeking re-election. 13 people were indicted in 2020 over charges like violation against election law and bribery, including former Mayor Song, former Ulsan Police Chief Hwang Un-ha, and Pe former Presidential Secretary for Civil Affairs, and Pak hyung chol former Presidential Secretary for Anti-Corruption. However, among those that were cleared of charges were presidential aides Im Jong-seok and jo that I mentioned earlier due to insufficient evidence. A reinvestigation order, meanwhile, can be issued if a higher-ranked prosecutor's office assesses there are deficiencies in the previous probe. And one of the decisive reasons for the determination is seen to be the fact that all other senior presidential secretaries who earlier were suspected were eventually found guilty. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, this latest decision could affect Im Jong-suk's running for the general elections as he has registered himself as a candidate for the DP.
0: Yeah, and also it's going to impact him on the long run because some others are saying that he could potentially be a presidential uh, candidate as well. And so you have a large number of people. Uh, they have Now they're saying a lot of the DP candidates uh, who could be potentially running for the presidential office have a lot of legal issues at hand, this including uh, uh, DP leader EJ myung and now Im Jong-suk. Uh, let's move on here. We certainly have a set of, actually a couple of days, two days of meetings taking place. Uh, between the top nuclear envoys of South Korea, US, and Japan. There were some bilateral meetings, a trilateral meeting also taking place in Seoul today, as we have been talking about the tensions uh, certainly running high on the Korean peninsula amid North Korea's Continue provocations, not to mention their uh, harsh rhetorics that have been coming out, their deepening military cooperation with Russia. Gee, let's get more on this.
2: Sure. So South Korean Special Representative for Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs, Kim Gun and U.S. Senior Official for North Korea, Cheong Bak, and his Japanese counterpart, Hiroyuki Namazu, Director of the Asian and Oce- Oce- Oceanian uh, Affairs at the Japanese Foreign Ministry, held a trilateral meeting at the Foreign Ministry in Seoul this afternoon. Now, they reportedly coordinated a trilateral response to recent developments on the Korean peninsula. North Korea has escalated tensions this year, as we know, with aggressive rhetoric shifting its policy toward a hostile two-state relationship and announcing a constitutional amendment that would allow for the complete occupation of South Korea in case of war. Now, the three countries shared their assessments of recent developments in North Korea-Russia relations, including North Korean Foreign Minister uh, Cho Soon-hee's recent recent visit to Russia, and they explored ways to strengthen coordination with the international community to prevent North Korea-Russia military cooperation. Now, the international community's concern is also growing regarding this. With foreign ministers from 50 countries and the European Union's uh, high representative for Foreign Affairs and Security Council issuing a joint statement expressing concern over North Korea's transfer of ballistic missiles to uh, Russia. Now, the three countries also presumably discussed practical measures to cut off the North Korean regime's nuclear and missile funding streams, including illegal cyber activities, dispatching overseas workers, and maritime transshipment. And earlier in the day, Kim Gon and Chongbak held a bilateral meeting as well before the trilateral meeting, uh, during which both sides urged North Korea to stop its aggressive actions and statements, as well as its reckless nuclear and missile development and provocations. And they called for the country to return to the path of denuclearization uh, via diplomatic means.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, we've talked about all these different uh, talks taking place. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not the first time they've met. I think uh, the last time they met was three months ago, I think in Jakarta, uh, once again. And, uh, I mean, It's only the three sides holding talks, right? What we really need is uh, North Korea to also get involved with the discussions here. But it's just getting their strength further and further. Uh, Their collaboration with uh, Russia is certainly getting closer. And that's irking a lot of people out there. Also, speaking of which, the United States, because new warnings being issued by Washington regarding the potential of additional military aid from North Korea to Russia. U.S. officials making remarks regarding North Korea's military space capabilities. So uh, let's get more on this.
1: Right. North Korea might provide Russia with more military support in Moscow's war in Ukraine, as warnings from the U.S. suggest. Pentagon Press Secretary Major General Patrick Ryder said in a press briefing Wednesday local time that North Korea and Russia clearly have a relationship, adding, quote, "...what we don't want to see is the continued proliferation of aid to Russia to be used in Ukraine." This comes on the back of the visit by North Korean Foreign Minister choe seon to Russia from Monday through Wednesday. On the invitation of her Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov, she not only held talks with Lavrov but also sat down with Russian President Vladimir mm. Putin commenting on Pyongyang's recent launch of what it claims to have been a hypersonic intermediate-range ballistic missile, Ryder urged the North to refrain from further destabilizing activity. The U.S. still is calling for North Korea to return to dialogue, though, as was said by U.S. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller in a separate briefing, where he stressed that dialogue is the only way toward lasting peace on the Korean Peninsula. Meanwhile, on the same day, a senior Pentagon official said the U.S. will take North Korea's military space capability seriously if it possesses elements enabling the North to wage war. This according to John Plum, the first Assistant Secretary of Defense for Space Policy, who also said there is an array of problems from North Korea, including its ballistic missile programs and violations against UN Security Council resolutions when asked about how to curb Pyongyang's potential threat in space. So I believe that the common kind of uh, he's kind of diverting from um, the, the question of whether actually uh, its capability in space is a threat to us because there are already too many threats that we are already having regarding North Korea
0: you know it's interesting you mentioned this because mm. uh, earlier today I had to read his statement five times Uh to understand what he was trying to say because you're right. I think he really was diverting from what Mm. the message was. He wasn't trying to be clear because one of the things that he also said was like, uh, we don't really think from right now, we're we're assessing that the uh, military reconnaissance satellite that they launched last year, uh, it's not really a threat right now. Whereas like everyone else was saying, I mean, it's a threat because now they're able to kind of further improve their ballistic missile technology. And then everything else that, that was said was like, why? Well, but it is a problem. But it yeah. nah, is not really a problem. But it is a problem that they do this. So. Honestly, I really thought my English was getting worse <laughs> because I really had to read this five yeah. times to understand what was going on with this. But so I'm glad I wasn't the only one that had a hard time understanding.
1: Right. I was on the same page with you on that. But
0: I do appreciate that. <laughs> uh, victims of Japan's forced labor uh, who participate in the second class action lawsuit won the first round of the case against Mitsubishi Heavy Industry. We also have some updates on this front. Gee, let's get more.
2: Sure. So the Civil Division 13 of the Kwangju District Court ruled partially in favor of the plaintiffs in a damages lawsuit filed by four plaintiffs, including the 94-year-old Korean forced labor victim, Chong shin against Japan's Mitsubishi Heavy Industries. Now, the court ordered the company to pay 100 million won in alimony to Cheng and one other plaintiff, uh, as well as 160 million won and 18 million won to two other defendants respectively. Now the rest of the plaintiffs claims were dismissed. however in January 2024 plaintiffs including Chong filed a second forced labor class action lawsuit against Mitsubishi as seeking 240 million dollars in alimony payments. And, uh, well, Chong went to Japan back in 1944 to work as a forced laborer at Mitsubishi Heavy Industries Nagoya Aircraft Factory. But the Japanese welfare pension uh, only paid her 931 won, which is about 99 yen, as a withdrawal allowance. Now, in light of other similar cases that have preceded this one, it's expected that the Japanese companies will appeal, so it will be a long time before the case is finalized. Now, in addition to this lawsuit, other civil damages cases against Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, uh, Mitsubishi Motors, and others are underway, including one appeal case in the Gwangju High Court and 14 uh, first-instance cases in the Kwangju District Court as well. And nationwide, 63 lawsuits for damages by victims of forced labor against Japanese companies have been filed so far. And of them, nine cases, only nine have been finalized.
0: Yeah, and so even with the nine cases, like you said, that were finalized, uh, mm-hmm. going as far as the, the Supreme Court, right, uh, unfortunately, it, it it's it's becoming more symbolic than anything right now because uh number 1 you could order Mitsubishi Heavy Industries or Nippon Steel and all the other uh Japanese firms that were being mentioned in these lawsuits but they're not going to pay up, right? They're saying legally uh, we're we're not we're not responsible for all of this, and what you guys are doing is illegal by international law, and so it's not happening. So the bigger question now is: we already know that there's some sort of fund being created by the South Korean government and uh, also the the South Korean firms, and so is this going to further then uh, increase the payment to all the people involved with these lawsuits? But what if? What about uh, those that are refusing to be uh, paid off by paid by the South Korean government and the South Korean firms? What happens then? So it just kind of goes into circle here. Uh, just yesterday, uh, one of the reporters were asking me about a pronunciation of a, a very, a very uh, renowned person. Uh, he is the IOC president. And I said, well, the pronunciation of this person depends on who you ask me or so. <laughs> uh, we're talking about IOC president Thomas Bach. Is <laughs> the, is the, is the, uh, the American. Uh, pronunciation, or if you ask Soa, is Bach. Bach. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he bit the Winter Youth Olympic Games now. Uh, just around the corner, you had the IOC president himself touring around the venue and uh, expressing his pleasure of the facilities. Uh, Soa, tell us more about this. Sure, and
1: you know what's funny is that <clears> I, on <throat> purpose, did not put his name into your lead, SJ.
0: <laughs> Why? Because you don't trust me to pronounce it cr- cr- no, correctly? No,
1: I just want to, uh, I just, you I know, have I have been pronouncing it Bach
0: <laughs> for like the past like couple of years now.
1: Good job, great. I
0: Okay,
2: well,
1: anyways. <laughs> anyways, i president Thomas Bach made a tour of the village that's set up for the Gangwon 2024 Winter Youth Olympics at Gangneung wonzu National University on Wednesday. It looks like he was more than satisfied, as he said, "Quote: What I can say from this visit here in the village is that I'm very, very impressed by the quality of the accommodation and what I'm hearing from the athletes. They're all very happy." Adding to that, he mentioned the importance of good sleep. and good food for athletes, and in terms of that, they seemed to have confirmed that the rooms, beds, and food is all excellent. In fact, he also visited one of the rooms uh, himself to check the beds and also the shower facility. With that, IOC the IOC chief told reporters on site that all is set for a successful Winter Youth Olympic Games. Bach toured with Choi head of the Games Organizing Committee, and also talked with the young athletes from different nationalities. He also had a message to the teen athlete athletes, the gist being to enjoy the experience. He said it's a unique experience as well as a great stepping stone for the Olympic Games they might participate in one day. The event, meanwhile, is held from the 19th, uh, Friday to February 1st. It marks the first time an Asian country is hosting the Winter Youth Olympics. And I think it's just the fourth event. I think, Esther, you're going to talk about this event later on Mm -hmm, in uh the program. But uh, more than 1,800 athletes from 79 countries are to compete. Now, although... Snow, of course, is perfect for winter games, uh, you might think, uh, but organizers are on high alert as heavy snow is forecast in the gangwon province's Yongdong region starting this Thursday through the weekend. The Ministry of Interior and Safety, therefore, called on extra vigilance while local municipalities held meetings to get prepared to keep facilities, roads, and, of course, people safe, especially ahead of ahead of the big sports events.
0: You know what's funny is you mentioned how... Uh, Tom Thomas Bach uh, yeah. examined like the the what is it the beds and stuff like that right yeah so we
1: had that issue in some other event we right? did
0: but the thing is with Pyeongchang right mm. remember the Pyeongchang two thousand and eighteen Winter Olympic Games so because like you said like in other countries like there were issues mm. what what is it was it the uh, I think it was Japan. Ba- they, oh, Japan oh I, had let's th-
1: not mention the countries, but there were countries where there were issues with the beds, right? The, there were some the, issues yeah, the with mattress. the
0: beds, but then they were saying in the, in the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Games, they were like, the beds were useless because a lot of the non-Korean athletes, they absolutely fell in love with the floor heating oh. system. Oh. And so they're like, we don't need that beds. Awesome. We want to sleep on the floor. And so they basically took all the, what is it, the blankets beddings. and stuff like oh. the beddings and just put it on the floor. And I was talking to uh, one of the athletes who participated at the uh, the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Games. Uh, he he's, he's from he was from Canada. And so he was building his own home. He was getting his uh, home boat, uh, built. And he had requested the contractors mm. to build a floor heating system oh. like they do in Korea. And so uh, it's great. It's, it's, it's impressive stuff, right? Yeah. And so that's why I found it so funny that uh, the IOC chief <laughs> was looking at beds where most of the people aren't even going to be using the beds, I'm sure, because mm. of the cold weather there. Uh, let's move on to the Middle East. Uh, we've been covering this particular issue for quite a bit. But uh, the concerning thing with this is how quickly and how far this conflict in the Middle East is spreading right now, because October 7th of last year, we were just kind of talking about the armed conflict between Israel and Hamas, and uh, that's certainly expanded to other regions, other militant groups, and other countries now uh, kind of mired in this conflict there. The Houthis, uh, who have already faced multiple rounds of airstrikes uh, in response to their targeting of international shipping, uh, struck a U.S.-owned bulk cargo carrier, Uh, The armed conflict again, I mean, this is escalating to a next level here. Gee, let's get the latest on this.
2: Sure. So Yemen's Houthi rebels have claimed responsibility for a missile attack on a cargo ship in the Red Sea. As the United States says, it has launched a new strike on Houthi targets amid soaring tensions uh, around the key waterway. Now, according to a maritime risk management company, uh, this Greek owned bulk carrier was reportedly targeted and impacted with a missile while transiting the southern Red Sea northbound. And the Houthi's uh, military spokesperson, Yahya Saria, said in a statement that the Yemeni rebels targeted this ship with naval missiles on Tuesday as it was heading to Israel, resulting in a direct hit. Uh, There were no reports of injuries, however. And earlier on Tuesday, the U.S. military said it launched a new strike against the Houthis, hitting anti-ship missiles in the third assault on the Iran-backed group in recent days. And according to a U.S. Central Command statement, the strike destroyed four Houthi ballistic missiles that were prepared to launch and presented an imminent threat uh, to merchant and U.S. Navy ships in the region. And the Houthi attack on this cargo ship involved an anti-ship ballistic missile, according to the statement, adding that the ship continued its Red Sea transit after being hit and saying it remained seaworthy. Now, the Iran-backed Houthis uh, have attacked what they say are Israel-linked commercial vessels since November, disrupting maritime trade routes. And the Houthis say that the attacks are a response to Israel's bombardment of Gaza. And on Sunday, U.S. forces shot down a Houthi cruise missile targeting a U.S. destroyer. And on Monday, a U.S.-owned cargo ship in the Gulf of Oman uh, was hit uh, by a missile as well. And regarding all this earlier, Qatar's prime minister said uh, uh, LNG shipments would be affected by Red Sea tensions Mm -hmm. and warned that the strikes on (coughs) Yemen uh, risk is worsening the crisis. And he also said military intervention will not bring an end for this, uh, nor will it contain it. In fact, it will only create further escalation.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, so far, some of the countries, I guess, either directly and indirectly kind of uh, impacted by this uh, crisis in the Middle East right now. We already know about uh, uh, Palestine, right? Uh, Israel. Uh, we have Yemen. Uh, we have also uh, Iran. Uh, we have some of the, you know, the mediating countries like mm-hmm. Qatar and uh, Egypt. But, It's now expanded. We're not going to talk about. I'm pretty sure. I feel like we're going to talk about this maybe in the future. But now there's this conflict Mm. between Iran and uh, Pakistan, Uh, and so there's been some exchange of fire there, which led to the death of children. And there's some retaliatory measures. And so I feel like again, unfortunately, you know, I've I've said uh, you know we're we're only 18 days into the new year, but there's so much happening right now. But uh, this crisis in the Middle East is something that we have to really zoom in on moving forward here, and hopefully it doesn't blow up into something bigger. Uh, But speaking of which, we're going to stick with issues in the Middle East. Iran, a supporter of Palestine, spoke through its foreign minister on the situation in Gaza, uh, this at the World Economic Forum over in Davos, Switzerland. Uh, So uh, tell us about the remarks over there.
1: Right. Iranian foreign minister Hussein Ahmadiyya Amir Abdullian claimed that attacks on Israel would end if Gaza war stops, if the Gaza war stops. Mm-hmm. Warning that the conflict could escalate tensions across the Middle East, the foreign minister said an end to the genocide in Gaza will lead to an end of military actions and crises in the region. Acknowledging Iran's strikes in Iraq and Pakistan a day before, he warned the war will become larger if war crimes and genocide against Gaza and the West Bank continue. He added that this does not mean Tehran wants to play a role in the spreading of the war, but that it has a clear understanding of the situation. He was referring to groups like Hezbollah in Lebanon and the Houthis in Yemen, who, according to the foreign minister, have acted to defend Gaza. Iran has been showing support for the Palestinians and the Islamist group Hamas and has been accusing the U.S. of backing what Tehran calls Israeli crimes in Gaza. Iran's top diplomat also mentioned the security of the Red Sea is linked to the developments happening in Gaza, warning everyone will suffer if Israel does not abandon its war in Gaza.
0: Unfortunately, it seems like this armed conflict, I mean, I guess you could call it an armed conflict, you could call it a war, uh, depends on how you see this, but uh, what we're we were hoping that was going to be a very brief fling uh even i believe uh, benjamin netanyahu the prime minister of israel has come out uh saying that this war is going to last until 2025 is what they're saying but the bigger question is what about in gaza when does the uh the i guess the reconstruction process for gaza begin because there's already a figure right now they're saying that it's going to cost about 15 billion dollars uh to rebuild all the homes there's something like 300 was it 350,000 homes uh, in Gaza that were destroyed. And so a lot of money, but time is a big thing here. Uh, one last piece of story here, the Israel Defense Forces Chief of Staff, uh, we're talking about Hersey Halevi, uh, warning about the increasing likelihood of the war in the northern region during his visit to a reserve forces exercise uh, in the northern region. So, G, wrap us up. What do you have for us?
2: Right. So the likelihood that Israel will be drawn into a war in Lebanon is growing. This according to Israel Defense Forces Chief of Staff, Hersi Halevi. Uh, the warning was made hours after Hamas terrorists fired a barrage of rockets at a northern Israel town. Uh, now, his remarks made against the backdrop of escalating tensions stood out prominently. Uh, he said, I don't know when the war in the north is. Uh, is going to end, but I can tell you that the likelihood of it happening in the coming months is much higher than it was in the past. He also emphasized the paramount importance of ongoing training exercises, particularly in the context of recent lessons gleaned from uh, conflicts in Gaza, which are deemed highly relevant to potential engagements in Lebanon, and a clearly defined objective was outlined for potential operations in Lebanon, the return of residents to the north, uh, encompassing all settlements in the region, and uh, Halevi acknowledged the necessity for a significant shift to achieve this goal. And despite the gravity of the situation, uh, Halevi expressed confidence in Israel's preparedness, citing its advantages, victories, and a decrease in the adversary's confidence as well.
0: Yeah, just very quickly, just so that I could, there's no misunderstanding, there's a quotation mark around Hamas terrorists. Not the the remarks made by Jihi, but this was the message made by uh, the IDF uh, Chief of Staff. But Mm -hmm. just kind of going back to some of the comments that he was making and why this is now going to showing slowly, even from his comments, that the armed conflict Spreading is because number one, he was saying when he said, by uh, you know, they're confident in Israel's preparedness, uh, inciting uh, the advantages and victories and stuff like that. He was saying that you know, from the experience that they gained in Gaza, they could uh, uh, you know basically apply that to any kind of conflict with Hezbollah. And so, by mentioning the northern regions and Lebanon, he is referring to war and conflict with Hezbollah now we've seen so far now, so far, we've seen only the militant groups get involved, right? Hezbollah being uh, Lebanon in Lebanon, although uh, they're Iran-backed as well, uh, Houthis over in Yemen. So, they're militant groups located in those respective countries. It's not, let's say, Lebanon getting involved with the uh, the conflict. It's not Yemen getting involved with the conflicts, although it got very close when there was an Israeli attack in Lebanon, in Beirut, uh, that drone attack that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But, it's starting to come, you know it's starting to be a country to country conflict real soon as, as we mentioned And one of our listeners I mentioned uh, the issue with uh, Pakistan and Iran and so already with countries now being named this is something that's going to be very concerning moving forward guys i want to thank you very much for coming in today i know Gia, you're really under the weather and so is also oh. very much under the weather i want to thank you guys for uh, really mm-hmm. being a, a, a trooper here coming in with the report stay thank safe you. stay healthy and uh, we'll see you guys again
1: thank you stay